Emmanuel is God with us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit with us, with the likes of us, with humans, humans who would take people who are just there to do service, thank you Pastor Marlene for your prayers, and hold them for ransom and think that was okay. Humans that would that would choose everything but God's values to live by and think that was okay. And that the God of the universe would come to this crazy little place in all of its mess. It astonishes me. It should astonish me more than this time of year, but this time of year, it's got a spotlight on it, and it always astonishes me. I am, uh, I am fascinated this morning by the number of times children are the object of hope for a family. In the scriptures, it happens over and over again. I'm a grandfather. I have grandchildren from 12 to 6 months. And I know when I hold or talk to or walk with or spend time with them, I do see a hope for the future. And I know that as a grandfather, you look at them differently. As a parent, you're always trying to keep them out of trouble. As a grandfather, you're kind of getting them into trouble. And you're trying to talk to them about the future. You're trying to, to, uh, to give a little wisdom and hopes that that will make an impact for what they decide to do going forward. And uh, with the, the 12-year-olds now, I'm kind of tr- sort of leaning into that a little bit more because I know 13 is coming and they're going to lose their minds. And so I'm trying to get something in there before they go absolutely crazy. But I just see in all of them that arm that reaches into the future. It's funny, when you get to this stage in life, you see the future through other things, the, the hope of the future in other people. And I, and I think that it is true. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, where we all started here a month or so, a little more ago, with the idea, with the concept, that God is speaking to the exiles in Israel, and He's saying, I know the plans, the thoughts of my heart for you. Plans to prosper you, In other words, give you a blessing to encourage you, to bless you in prosperity. Not to harm you, because Israel thought this exile was God harming them. Plans to give you hope. And we've been emphasizing hope. But I want to catch the other word. And a future. I would argue today that without a future, there is no hope. That the fact that there is a future is the reason for hope. That hope is bound up with the future so entirely that if we come to the point in our life when we think there is nothing in the future to live for, we truly become hopeless. That these two things are bound together. And I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 4. Pastor Pastor Tim took us to chapter 3 and 4 a couple of weeks ago. I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. There's that moment and, and the third child has been born. To Adam and Eve. They've had Cain. They've had Abel. And now they're having Seth. And as Seth arrives in the world. It's the same scene. This is the first farmer's wife. On the first farm. Having this child. And as this child is born into this family. Ringing in this child's mother's ear. Ringing in the child's mother's ear. Is the echo of God's voice. 
When sin arrived on the planet, he spoke to the serpent, cursing the serpent to crawl on his belly. And he said, of him I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. And he, her seed, will crush your head. And you will harm him. You will, you will inflict pain on his heel. And as the child is there in her arms, she doesn't just see the newest arrival in the family. She sees the hope of that phrase, the hope of those words. And she calls him Seth. If you look up the words, if you look up the word Seth in the scriptures, if you go research the, the, the word behind it, this is he's a replacement. He's one placed instead of. He's one to take the, the place of. God has given me another seed is the way it's translated. God has given me a replacement. And if you keep reading, it says, for Abel whom Cain killed. And the whole story is right there. Sin entered the world. A brother killed his little brother because his, his choices brought conviction to him. And his brother's choices, his brother's choices made him feel less. And now in her arms, she holds a baby and she says, this, this is the seed. And I don't know that this is the answer, but this is the pathway of hope. An old woman, 90 years old, with a nearly 100-year-old husband, inside the tent of a shepherd, having just completed something no one could imagine, has given birth to a child. And she lifts him in her arms and she holds him. And she reflects on the words of God that are echoing in her ear at the moment. That God had said to her husband, Abraham, through your seed, I will bless the world. And she holds him in her arms and she looks into his face and she said, there's nothing for an old woman to do in this circumstance but laugh. And so she names him Laughter. It's a funny thing to me. I, do, do you have nicknames for your kids? I have nicknames for my kids. I'm going to see a, a few of my grandkids this week still. I'm going to see the Three Musketeers and the Peanut. They all have actual names, but that's what I call them. The Three Musketeers have nicknames for each one. There's the big guy, and there's Bubba, and there's Bud. They all have actual names, but it gets confusing when you try to use their real names. I wonder if this boy, whose name was Laughter, and this boy whose name was The Substitute, I wonder if their names were their nicknames. I wonder if the point the parents had was 
to express what they felt God had given. What they felt about the future and the hope. When they looked at those children. You see, the reason there are three musketeers is because of three brothers. The reason they're big guy Bubba and Bud is because, well, they're big guy Bubba and Bud. And the reason the peanut is the peanut is because she's the peanut. I made the mistake of calling one of her younger grandchildren, the, the young next in line, the next female in line, the peanut in front of her. And she said, that, that's not the peanut. I'm the peanut. So I have to pick up a new name for the other one. That same son who was to be laughter is taken on top of the hill by his father, not his mother. And up there on the hill, remember the story? Remember the story. We, we touched on it way back at the beginning. The most hopeless thing is being done. God has said, this child on whom you have placed all of your hope, this child that I promised you that miraculously was born to you, this child whom you have been given laughter from in the old, your old age, this child who is such a joy to you should be sacrificed. And they, they go up to the top of the mountain together. And as we mentioned weeks ago now, the son is the one who brings up the lack of a sacrifice. And I think if I were in that situation, I might be the one to bring it up as well. He says, uh, Dad, we've got wood. We've got some coals to restart a fire. We forgot to bring a lamb. And his father's answer has rung in our ears ever since. He says, God will provide, listen to the next phrase, for himself a lamb. It's the first time we realize that everyone understands a substitutionary sacrifice is being made, that a, a sacrifice is a substitute for God's provision, God's provision for what God will do. Yesterday, we, we touched on another Another girl. Younger than the other two by a lot. Probably still in her teens. She has found herself in the most awkwardly weird position. An angel showed up and said, you're going to have a baby. And she said, it's impossible. I know how babies are made and that's impossible. The angel said, not with God. Holy Spirit is going to rest on you and when that happens... You're going to have a son, and you're going to have God's son, and you're going to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Odd things have happened since. Her betrothed husband was also visited by this angel, Gabriel. And he was told to go ahead and take Mary because the child within her is of God, of the Holy Spirit. And so this man, whom she actually hoped to spend the rest of her life with, comes to her and says, God has told me that this is of God. And so I will spend my future with you. 
and we too will raise this child who is a miracle. And as the things continue to unfold, politics got in the way. It's not the first time politics has gotten in the way of religion. And a politician long distance away, far, far away, in a place they never hoped to even look at, see, be aware of, other than the fact that people from there are present in Judah. A politician on the other side of the world says, you have to go, and so they go. They arrive in Bethlehem. Near the end of this girl's last trimester, you know the story. If, if you don't, I don't know what rock you've been hiding under. But they can't find a place to stay. My wife picked up a Christmas card this year. On the front of the Christmas card, is Mary not looking happy. She's got that stern face. Guys, those of you who are married, that stern face your wife gets when you've blown it. She's not saying anything. She's just giving them the look, the what is wrong with you look. How could you put me in this situation? That's the look. And there's Joseph, and he's trying to explain his way out of this. Any of us who've tried to explain our way out of this know there's no getting out of it. He's saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know I should have gotten a reservation. And the caption reads, the real reason it was a silent night. They spend the night in a barn. They probably spend a few nights in the barn. But that night, We celebrated it yesterday, that night, probably not the 25th of December, but that night, sometime in the fall into early winter, as Marlene mentioned in the cold time of the year when sleeping outside in the barn wasn't going to be good, wasn't going to be comfortable, that night, they've taken the blankets off the donkey, they've tied him up in a corner. They spread as much hay as they could, as fresh as they could find on the not-so-fresh hay that's on the floor. They've laid out the blankets, and she's given birth to a child. A child. First births are tough. First births are often the hardest. She's never experienced this before. And the fact that the Bible says she wrapped the child in swaddling clothes means probably that just the two of them were there. He's never had a child before. He doesn't know what she's experiencing. He's doing the best he can. This baby's too important to lose. If what the angels said is true... But then why would God let the child, this child, of all children in the history of mankind, be born in a barn? Seth was born in a house, a home. Isaac was born at least in a tent. And Emmanuel, God with us. How could, if what the angel said to them was true, how could this be true? 
how could this weird circumstance be their circumstance? If the God of the universe is God of anything, couldn't he have held a room in the inn for them? Thoughts rolling through their mind about what they've heard and what they believed and how they feel and what's creeping in as doubt. I haven't heard anything from an angel in nine months. And she takes the baby in her arms. Having fed him his first meal. That had to be weird. Wrapped him in little strips of cloth. Probably by now has changed his first diaper. The weird non sequitur of holding the Messiah and him being this big. Of him being completely dependent on you. How weird. She's laid him in the manger. She's probably fallen asleep because this is a pretty exhausting procedure. But off in the hills, northwest of town, there are some shepherds. They've been visited by an angel. And then they've been visited by a whole host of angels. But the angel gives them a weird message. The angel says that you will find the messianic baby, the one that was promised to Eve, promised to Abraham, Promise to Israel now for thousands of years. Promise to mankind for 10,000 years. As all of those promises and all of those hopes and all of those wishes and all that was wrapped up in swaddling clothes. You will find the Messiah wrapped in swaddling clothes. You will find the baby, the Messiah baby, lying in the food trough of an animal, wrapped in the clothes of the poor. And then the heavens break open into a song. The angels promise peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Shepherds don't know what to do. The the sky goes dark again. They look at each other. They decide, let's go find him. And they do. Imagine what that was like to run to the city of Nazareth. It's, It's not a city. It's a village. And start looking through barns. To start searching the barns in town for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a food trough. Who is the Messiah? Imagine... How crazy that would be. And yet here they are, peering into one barn after another after another. I imagine that people in town thought it was pretty weird too to have a bunch of shepherds looking in their barn. Are they trying to steal sheep? What are they doing? But they just keep moving on and moving on till they, till they come to this barn. If we're right about the place, this barn is a cave. If we're right about the place where the church was built over top of the place where Jesus was 
supposed to be born, born, then it was a cave. Not a very big cave either. It's a little cave, couple of compartments. And there they are. She's awakened from her nap. She's probably fed him a second time. Barely 16 years old. And the angels just told them that the God of the universe has been placed in her care. If angels weren't accompanying this story, no one, not even the participants, would have believed the story. And as we mentioned last week, Mary, Mary just started cataloging what's going on. Eight days pass. They take him to the temple. Circumcision should happen. He should be, he he should be. He, eight days pass. Take him to be circumcised, like all the rest of Abraham's children. He's now a child of the covenant that he shared with Abraham. He's now fulfilling a covenant promise that he gave in the first place. A covenant promise that was made to him. How does this all work? After a time of cleansing couple of weeks pass they by now have probably moved into a a room or a space on the floor in the home of a relative there in Nazareth they probably aren't still in the cave at this point but this this couple makes the, the the five mile journey up to Jerusalem and they enter the temple and they They bring the offering. For them, because of their impoverished situation, they bring a couple of doves because you could bring a lamb if you could afford it or you could bring a couple of pigeons or a couple of doves if you couldn't, and they can't. Why would the Messiah choose us? A couple of poor kids from Nazareth. We we have no future. We have no prospects. We have no real hope. We're just going to struggle through life and try to exist. Why would the God of the universe choose them? Why would he place something so important in the hands of someone so insignificant? They go to give the offering and receive the priest's blessing on this firstborn child. And there... An old man named Simeon. He's been waiting for this day. He actually he actually has a deal with God. His deal is, look, I, I want you to keep me alive until the Messiah comes. And this day when this unlikely couple and their little baby with and their their minuscule offering come into the temple, Simeon knows. Simeon gets it. Simeon sees what no one can see. He sees what they wouldn't believe themselves if the angels hadn't declared it. He runs to this young couple and he takes the child and he blesses the child and he praises God for allowing him 
to see the Messiah. And an old woman named Anna, who's been living in the temple, she has no place else to go, it seems, and she just stays there. She camps out. Day after day, she spends all day long in the temple praying. And she rushes forward at the same time as Simeon is blessing the child. She rushes forward. She declares to anyone who will listen that this is the Messiah. And anyone looking for the Messiah who now looks in on what's going on can't possibly understand. How could they? These people and that baby? Come on. You wouldn't, you wouldn't if, if you were God, come to earth as a baby, would you? That doesn't make any sense. More importantly, you wouldn't, if you were God, become the object, the risk, risk-filled object of the birthing process, would you? But Simeon and Anna can see beyond the trappings of the people to the content of the child, to the hope in their arms, to the future promised through this seed. Three decades pass. Three decades pass and Mark in the writing of his gospel tells us that after Jesus breathed his last that some people there Joseph of Arimathea we find out also Nicodemus Mary Magdalene the prostitute from whom he has cast out seven demons and Mary mother of James and Joseph the mother of Jesus take his body down and it was an attempt by Michelangelo to pack picture that moment when his body came down from the cross and this mother who held the child holds the body of her dead son this has always been where the story was heading there was a promise that yes he would crush the head of Satan but it would cost him Bruising his heel, this seems a little extreme for a bruised heel, but that's what the promise said. I wonder as she looked at his scarred, broken, limp body, was she hopeful? Did she recall the shepherds, the wise men? Did she recall the visits of of the angels to her, to Joseph, to the shepherds? Did, Did she recall Simeon, Anna, 
the miracles on the road, the feeding of the 5,000, did she recall any of that in this moment? Would you? We have lost our faith over lesser things. And if hope requires a future, then could she see a future in this? You know the story, the process that takes place next. They clean him. Get a really good look at all the wounds. They remove a crown of thorns from his head. They wash the blood from his body. They wrap him in linen. Could you imagine being the mother who had wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger? Now there with Joseph and Nicodemus and and Mary the prostitute. Two Pharisees, prostitute and a poor girl. Wrap the Messiah. Layer after layer of linen. Laying incense on the body like he's a nobleman. Hundred pound extra weight. Wrapped into these layers of linen. Did she remember the manger? Did she remember the swaddling clothes? Did she remember nursing him? Did she remember as she washed away the blood, bathing her baby for the first time? You see, this was always going to be the end of the story. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. Could she see that from here? Could you have? The disciples will talk a lot about it in the years ahead. But I want to remind you that Jesus was always going to die. That yes, God put his full trust in a girl in her teens and a young man not much older. God handed over the most prized being in the universe to their care. He didn't he didn't give them extra education, just extra revelation. And we celebrate gratefully the coming of Jesus. But he was always going to die. The manger cannot be separated from the cross. For when that manger 
received its inhabitants, it was certain that the cross would receive its. What hope was left after the cross? Only the hope for a miracle. That Mary, that other Mary, the one from whom seven demons were cast, the one who had seen the power of Jesus in her own experience in a way that not many had. She shows up in the garden on Sunday morning. Early, the Bible says. Very early. In the trekking back and forth of people to the garden that morning, she ends up by herself at some moment. And it's very hard to decipher in the text who is going and who is coming and when this woman finally is by herself in the garden. And she discovers that it is an an alive and a resurrected and newborn Christ in front of her. And she does what she has done before. She falls on her knees before him and she wraps her arms around his legs. perfume that was sprinkled on them just a week or so ago still wafts to her face. The spices he's been wrapped up still fill her her sinuses till her eyes begin to water. But she hangs on. And finally Jesus says, Mary, you have to let me go. I'm not yet ascended to my father. You see, he was always going to die. And he was always going to be raised. The manger leads to the cross, leads to the empty tomb. Manger leads to the cross, leads to the empty tomb. God laid down this process, laid down this story before the foundations of the earth. The manger leads to the cross where Jesus' heel is bruised, leads to the empty tomb where Satan's head is crushed. It was always this. And we can't separate Christmas from Easter. We can't separate the manger from the cross. But we can't separate the manger and the cross from the empty tomb. If we do that, we are hopeless. Because the future is not in manger. The future is not on the cross. The future is in that empty tomb. Because the occupant has returned home to be with the Father. The disciples again and again and again try to explain it to, to us and I'm going to just read to you some of the things said to us from those looking back at it. A true light 
that which gives light to everyone who's come into the world. He was in the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. For God, the voice of Jesus, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I have told you all of this, Jesus again, so that you may have peace here on earth. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. You see, there was a manger, there was a cross, and there was an empty tomb. This is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus' voice again, I have come that they may have life. We're the they. And have it more abundantly. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Jesus. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope was born on Christmas. Hope appeared to be lost at the cross. But hope was blasted out into the present, into the arms of a waiting world, when the stone rolled away from the tomb and Jesus went home to the Father. We have this hope which burns within our heart Hope in the coming of the Lord. We have this hope which Christ alone imparts. Hope in the promise of His Word. I don't know how you're feeling today. It's a weird thing, Christmas. It's a hopeful time, certainly. It's a celebratory time, but it can be a very discouraging time. For some who have been caved up because of COVID, it's been a rough season. But the promise of Emmanuel was that he would be the lamb God provided 
God did provide for himself a lamb to take the wages of sin that you and I might have our sins forgiven and in his place be given everlasting life. The empty tomb is the promise of a resurrection for all who have ever passed into death themselves holding on to the hope in Jesus. Because when you have Christ, you can close your eyes for your last breath and still have hope for a future. Jeremiah wrote it. To a group of people who thought they had lost all hope the elders who had been carried away captive and the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar has carried captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. He gives them the advice of God and then he gives them the words of God. I know the plans I have for you. I laid them down before the foundations of the world, before I invented mankind, before I built the earth, before anything happened here. I knew the plan, and it has always been a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans that promise future and hope. Let's pray. Father God, it's easy for us to despair at loss. To be hopeless in spite of your gift. It is easy for us to think we've reached the end of something. That there's no reason for us to hope anymore. Our three score and ten comes quickly. And our losses mount up. Father, I ask that everyone every one of us would be renewed in our hope today we are grateful that you humbled yourself and became a man became a baby that you further humbled yourself to die on a cross. But our hope today, Lord, is in the reality that you were exalted by the Father. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that you are Lord. 
hope is built on the assurance of a resurrected Savior. And the covering of your grace, the cleansing of your blood. In Jesus' name, we place our hope.